Chapter 3, Reconciliation in the Workplace. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Matthew 5, 23-24 Forgiveness is a choice, not an emotion. Most importantly, reconciliation does not necessarily mean resolution. The basis for healing the wounds, forgiveness, and reconciliation in the workplace is to forgive and reconcile. But reconciling does not necessarily mean resolving the issue. So, rest assured, you can forgive and reconcile without discussing the past. Why should I reconcile? Are you tired of avoiding this person? Assuming you still work with this individual, can you honestly say this friction hasn't impacted your time and effectiveness in your personal and work life? Aren't you worn out by taking it home? Isn't your family tired of hearing about it? Even if you don't need closure, although it's hard to believe you wouldn't, the other person probably does. Surely, the longer it takes you to initiate the reconciliation, you're stealing that needed and deserved closure. So you've gotten my attention, Greg. How do you suggest I initiate this reconciliation? I'm glad you asked. First of all, consider the forgiveness and reconciliation card I mentioned earlier. What about sending an email or a text, an invitation to forgiveness and reconciliation? Write a traditional handwritten note. Make a phone call although I prefer to send a note, email, or text. Send an email or a text and give that person that time to ponder versus putting them on the spot. Use me as an excuse. I just listened to this audio book called Healing the Wounds, Forgiveness and Reconciliation in the Workplace. And the author made some interesting points of how not reconciling with someone you used to work well with is actually preventing peak performance in your team and in your organization. He said the past doesn't need to be dredged up. So maybe you'd be interested in grabbing a Coke sometime. If not, I totally understand. The first meeting will be awkward, no doubt. The following are a few guidelines once that meeting occurs. Be the best version of you. We discussed this in Chapter 7. Number two, don't talk about you. Ask more generic questions about their family, their friends, how their job's going. Impose a no-dredge policy. Be authentic. Don't launch into a one-up. Well, let me tell you what I've been doing. Choose a casual location. Somewhere off-site works best for coffee and drinks. Follow up with a short note. What if they don't respond or aren't interested? You tried. Move on. Sleep well. Who knows? The other party may reach out to you at a later date. What if they want to discuss the past? Be careful. But if you think there can be a successful resolution, go for it. If you don't think a path to a successful resolution exists, simply express your intent to move forward without redredging up all the past. But if one of you insists on discussing the past, follow these suggestions. Number one, attack issues, not each other. Number two, 
stay at a high level discussion versus focusing on the minutia. Remember, analyticals, be careful. Number three, don't drag it out forever. Number four, own your feelings. Number five, perception is reality. If a person feels a certain way, even though that's not the meaning or intent, that's what was communicated. It is what it is. Number six, don't drag others in it. Number seven, forgive and eventually reconcile. Cancer-free, or at least in remission, commit to closure and forgiveness after your conversation. Move on. Consider a follow-up, a short, sweet, informal handwritten note, thanking them for their time, their forgiveness, reconciliation, and closure. Remember, it's over. No more dredging. Number eight, apologize. Move on. Number nine, stop apologizing over and over again. Hell freezes over. The following excerpt is an email from one of my workshop participants who approached me and said, well, hell must have just frozen over because I cannot believe what just happened. Playing facilitator for reconciliation. Number one, carefully assess the situation and likelihood for reconciliation and be realistic. Number two, do the interested parties have ulterior motives? If so, abandon this idea. Number three, do you have alternative motives? If so, abandon this idea. Number four, does each party trust you? If so, the atmosphere is favorable. Number five, do you have the skills and expertise? Will you be present or simply facilitate a meeting? Next, could you make this situation worse? Number seven, is each party committed to reconciliation? Number eight, if possible, don't overformalize. Perhaps an invitation from you inviting both to an event. A word of warning, make sure both parties are aware the other has been invited. A surprise could backfire and jeopardize your relationship. And lastly, consider either mentioning healing the wounds, forgiveness, and reconciliation in the workplace, or sending them a link to this audio series. Customizing Reconciliation We look and approach life out of four windows of the world. These windows, covered in Chapter 7, are called social styles. When we consider reconciliation, we should be as intentional as possible. The approach, the invitation, and the location are all important factors. Each party's personality, their social style, should be carefully considered and factored into the reconciliation. Here are a few of my observations regarding the driver, analytical, expressive, and aimable. Drivers, bottom line focused. If they agree to reconciliation, they want to do it quickly, get it over with, and move on. No dredging up the past or previous efforts at reconciliation. Analyticals, less assertive than the drivers. Analyticals are business-focused too, but very often have a backup style of aimable. This means an analytical can take things more personally than drivers. I suggest avoiding discussing the past. Out of all the four social styles, analyticals could potentially desire to rebuild the case 
and recite an outline of the steps that led up to the conflict, as well as a play-by-play of what must happen moving forward. Analyticals often find it hard to forgive, much less reconcile until they solve the problem. Unfortunately, this approach delays, if not prevents, forgiveness and reconciliation. Expressives. More excited, expressives will be animated about reconciliation. They're open with their emotions. They will let the world know all about this reconciliation. It's best to find a quiet, private location because everyone around will know something is going on based on an expressive's nonverbal communication. Aimables. More emotionally, afraid of getting hurt, the aimable is worried about being let down. Trust must be reestablished. They may forgive and eventually reconcile, but they will never, ever forget. Unrealistic expectations. As mentioned earlier, each social style has unrealistic expectations that could potentially be a catalyst for the need to forgive, be forgiven, and may delay or even prevent reconciliation. Drivers. Their unrealistic expectation is to always be in control and never out of control. Analyticals. To always be right, always be able to solve the problem, and never wrong. The expressives. To always be in the spotlight and never unnoticed. Aimables. To always be liked and never disliked. To never be mistreated and never be done wrong. Reconciliation in the darndest of places. Reconciliation with Richard occurred first at a basketball game, completely by chance, then when he sent flowers to my father's funeral, and lastly, he sent an email to me. His gestures opened the door for me, and I was receptive and grateful for those efforts. In short, reconciliation doesn't have to be formal. Most importantly, the past doesn't have to be discussed. What are informal locations you might at least use to start forgiveness and reconciliation? The whole remains. Once forgiveness and reconciliation are achieved, we can reach greater degrees of individual, team, and organizational effectiveness. But even after the healing, a whole often remains. A Sunday school teacher best explained this lesson in forgiveness, reconciliation, and the memories that remain with this story. The teacher displayed a small piece of wood, a hammer, and a nail. The wood symbolizes the person we've hurt with our words and or actions. The nail, once it's hammered into the piece of wood, represents the words and or actions that hurt the other person. Eventually, we ask for forgiveness, and removing the nail demonstrates acceptance. The teacher picked up the piece of wood, turned it over, and asked, What still remains? The hole is still there. The memory of the hurt that sometimes never goes away. What hole still remains in you? Is a little caulking in order? Profiles and Reconciliation Christmas reconciliation. You know shoot, we know shoot. On a frosty starlit night in 1914, a miracle took place. It began when a melody drifted over the darkness of no man's land. 
First, O holy night, then God save the king. Weary British soldiers, peeking over their trenches for what must have been the first time in weeks, were surprised to see Christmas trees lit with candles sparkling out of the enemy's trenches. Then a shout, you no shoot, we no shoot. The Christmas truce was a brief, spontaneous ceasefire that spread up and down the western front of Germany in the first year of World War I. It's also a symbol of the peace on earth and goodwill toward mankind that is so often lacking, not just on the battlefront, but in our everyday lives. Is there any ceasefire that you need to facilitate? My enemy, my friend. I first met Brigadier General Dan Cherry, who you heard in the foreword of this book, when he was Secretary of the Kentucky Justice Cabinet. I had conducted a team-building workshop for the governor and his executive team. Like most heroes, you would never have known General Cherry's legend by his quiet demeanor and humble spirit. But it didn't take long to realize the unassuming Dan Cherry is an amazing man and a distinguished American hero. General Cherry continued to serve our country for 29 years, flying airplanes such as the F-105, the F-4, and the F-16. He commanded the Air Force Thunderbirds, the 8th Tactical Fighter Wing, and the Air Force Recruiting Service. As a command pilot, he flew nearly 300 combat missions during the Vietnam War and clocked more than 4,000 flying hours. He also earned numerous military awards and decorations, including the Distinguished Service Medal, the Silver Star with the One Oak Cluster, the Legion of Merit with two Oak Leaf Clusters, the Distinguished Flying Cross with nine Oak Leaf Clusters, and the Air Medal with 34 Oak Leaf Clusters. After retiring from the Air Force, like most successful leaders, Dan Cherry found numerous other projects that benefited from his well-honed skills, his passion, and a sense of purpose. Such was the case with Cherry's dream to create the Aviation Heritage Park in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and bring the stories of regional heroes alive to the public through interesting displays. But little did Cherry realize this particular project would change his life and the lives of many others in ways no one could imagine. As with many astounding ideas, the genesis for the Aviation Museum in Bowling Green began simply when Dan Cherry and a group of his walking buddies took a trip to the National Museum of the United States Air Force in Dayton, Ohio. The one exhibit that altered lives that day wasn't even at the museum. Knowing that Cherry and his friends were from Kentucky, a staff member commented about an airplane that held some historical significance to the Bluegrass State. He told them it might become available because the VFW, where it was located, was having difficulty taking care of it. As fate would have it, that VFW was only 20 miles down the road. To everyone's amazement, they saw the N number, 66-7550, stamped on the tail of the F-4 Phantom Jet. It left no doubt that Dan Cherry had been reunited with an old friend from 30 years earlier. Cherry's F-4 Phantom Jet soon had a new home in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and it became clear that, that the seed of an idea planted with that discovery of that plane had flowered into something much bigger. Today, the Aviation Heritage Park stands as an educational facility in Bowling Green, Kentucky, which proudly exhibits aviation artifacts representing careers of distinguished aviators from South Central Kentucky. 
The Aviation Heritage Park honors some of America's finest combat aviators with plans to host many more airplanes and to honor the courageous pilots who flew these magnificent machines. To me, the most amazing part of General Cherry's life is the courage it took to reconcile, forgive, and develop a friendship with the Vietnamese pilot. That pilot that Dan Cherry shot down that fateful day, and the relevance to our topic is overwhelming. Here's what he says happened. For over 30 years, I filed away memories of that MiG pilot I shot down, recalls Cherry. Did he have a family? Did he survive the bailout and return to fly again? Finally, curiosity culminated in action when Cherry wrote a letter to a journalist and a TV show anchor in Vietnam, and only a few weeks later, he received an invitation to appear on the show. The separation never seems to have existed. Three decades later, after that life-changing dogfight, Cherry would meet that pilot he shot down. Since that time, those two have become close friends, spending time together in both Vietnam and the United States. The power of forgiveness and reconciliation prompted that Vietnamese pilot to ask Dan Cherry to research the American pilot that he had shot down just a few months earlier. Cherry kept his promise, and on April 26, 2009, that pilot, the American pilot, and Dan Cherry embraced each other with tears in their eyes as Steve Hartman of CBS News expressed, when the war went away. Considered an expert in human behavior and organizational dynamics, Greg Coker is the author of Building Cathedrals, The Power of Purpose, and The Soft Skills Field Manual, The Unwritten Rules for Succeeding in the Workplace. Greg's website is gregcokerdevelopment.com. He can be reached at 270-223-8343.